Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. Today I'm going to be talking to you about Twitter cards for blogs, revealing everything you need to know to set them up and get them going on your very own blog. I'm also launching a brand new podcast, and I'm going to give you a sample of that new podcast a little bit later in the show. With that, let's transition over to Twitter cards and talk all about them right now. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week I'm going to talk about Twitter cards for blogs. I'm going to talk about how to set them up, and I'll I'll talk about what are they, what are the benefits to your blog, what are the different types of Twitter cards that you can use, how do you set them up, how do you validate your account, and what do you do to tweak some of the settings in order to have more customization. So let me start with what the heck is a Twitter card. Simply said, a Twitter card is a way to add more text and images to your tweets. As you probably know, you're limited to 140 characters with a tweet. And unlike a tweet that allows you to upload an image, this allows you to do a lot more. And just to clarify, you probably already know that you can go ahead and upload an image. And typically it has to be a rectangular image and it will crop the tops and bottoms of the image if it's a square image. And the way that works is when you do a tweet with an image, that image is default displayed on Twitter.com and in mobile apps. So as you're surfing, boom, that pops right out. Now, tweets with images do not support Twitter cards. Twitter cards are wholly distinctly separate from it. And I think the easiest way to think about what a Twitter card is, is to think about Facebook. Whenever you're on Facebook and you paste in a URL, you'll have, you ever notice how Facebook tries to pull in some default information from a post? It tries to pull in an image and some a headline and typically some text. Well, Twitter is essentially doing the same thing with uh, Twitter cards, but it's a little bit different. And I want to talk about some of the distinctions and how it works. First of all, Twitter cards, to my knowledge, only work on Twitter.com and Twitter's own mobile app for now. Now, I use TweetBot, which is a very popular mobile app, which I know some of you listening probably use. And currently, Twitter cards are not supported by TweetBot. I'm making the assumption that other Twitter apps that are not by Twitter also don't support tweet cards, but I could be wrong. So don't hold me to the fire on that one. But basically how it works is if you go to twitter.com and you go to a Twitter account that has um, Twitter cards enabled, you'll see a little something that will say like view summary 
or view picture um, to the bottom right below a tweet that has uh, a tweet card. And on the mobile app, on Twitter's own mobile app, when you click on the tweet itself, uh, anywhere on the tweet, you'll see the summary card kind of come up on the screen. And so, so there's a couple ups and downs to this. The downside to this is it's kind of a one click process that's necessary to see the, uh, the, the Twitter cards. Um, and that could be a problem, but I think as more and more users begin to understand what a Twitter card is, they might click on it to decide whether they actually want to click on the URL or not. Cause it's kind of a good summary, but it's not default displayed in the Twitter feed. Now here's some of the benefits. First of all, you get a lot of added content. You get 70 additional characters for the title of your blog post, and you get 200 additional characters for the description. So if you think about this, you've got your tweet, right? And then you click view summary and below the tweet appears additional content, additional 70 characters for a headline, additional 200 characters for your description. And then you also get the ability to include images in there. And I'm going to talk about different kinds of images, but you can do very tall images. For example, I was able to display a image that was 480 characters wide and 580 characters tall within a Twitter um, uh, card. So that's something you just cannot do right now with a typical tweet. In addition, you can also put um, a byline in there and a Twitter ID. So this is pretty powerful. For example, if you have a multi-author blog, um, you could go ahead and put in a, um, uh, a byline for the author of the article, and you could also put in a Twitter ID for the publication, or you could do them the same. Um, that's pretty cool. So this is all additional content that Twitter is essentially enabled through their Twitter cards that is just frankly not available with your typical 140-character limit. Now, there's three different types of cards that I think bloggers would be interested in. There's the summary card, the summary card large, large image, and the, the photo card. So let's start with the summary card, which is kind of the default thing that most bloggers are probably going to want to use. What this does is it shows a small image that's offset to the right, like a little square that's about 120 by 120 pixels max. So this is very similar to the way uh, Facebook works, right? You know how Facebook typically has a tiny little image that's, in this case, offset to the left. Well, Twitter offsets it to the right, and then all the text is below it. And um, this is kind of probably the most common way that a lot of bloggers would, would want to set it up. Now, the summary card with a large image, I think, is cooler if you have nice big images on your blog that you're using. The difference here is that big image is actually above all the content. So imagine your tweet, and then when someone hits view summary, they see a really big image, and then below that they see the, you know, the 70-character the headline and the 200-character description. So um, now the third option is the photo card. The photo card essentially is the same as the summary card large image, except it doesn't have the summary. So it just shows a photo and a headline. Uh, Mashable right now is using the photo card. Social Media Examiner is using the summary card. And My Kids Adventures is using the summary card large image. 
Now, the reason why My Kids Adventures is using the summary card large image is because we have a lot of photographs inside of the My Kids Adventures site, and most of them are rather large, and it makes more sense. Um, any of those images would probably be great. Um, with Social Media Examiner, we're not quite there yet where we've created cool images that are designed to maybe be montage images or summary images for the articles. Um, as an aside, if you are using Facebook Open Graph and you're creating Facebook Open Graph images for your blog posts, those same images could be used with no tweaking at all for your summary cards. And that's kind of exciting for those of you that have, got, have gotten on the Facebook Open Graph side of things. And if you go to Social Media Examiner and you search for Facebook Open Graph, I'm sure you'll find plenty of articles on how to do that. Now, here's how to actually set up a WordPress blog to work with summary cards. And I'm going to get a little technical, but I think you're going to find great value in this. First of all, you want to install a plugin called Yoast SEO. That's Y-O-A-S-T, kind of like toast, but with a Y. And uh, we'll include links to this in the show notes. Now, if you are using some other kind of SEO plugin and you do not want to use Yoast, well, don't worry. Hang with me for a minute. Um, you're still going to find this section valuable because I'm going to talk about another way to, um, to do this without Yoast. But what I like about Yoast is if you're already using Yoast, which is arguably one of the more popular SEO plugins, it's very simple. You just go into Yoast. You click on the social setting under the uh, menu on Yoast, and then you click on the tab that says Twitter. And underneath that, you'll see something that says add Twitter card metadata. Check mark that little guy. And then what you want to do is input your Twitter username and you want to select a card type. Now, Yoast only currently supports two card types, summary or summary with large image. Now, I want you to be very careful here um, about picking the right one because when you go through this process, um, Yoast will apply this to every single blog post on your site. And I have run into some issues with Twitter caching, um, and I don't know how else to describe this, but with my kids' adventures, we started out with summary cards because I didn't know any better. And then, and then I went back and I said summary cards with large image. And what happened was all of the old tweets that we had ever tweeted on the kid, my kids' adventures account defaulted to the summary card. Um, and the new ones defaulted to the summary card with large image. So I'm, I'm thinking there might be something going on with Twitter um, remembering what your first selection was. So be careful that you select the right one for the very first time. And um, another thing that you have to keep in mind is that Yoast is going to randomly pick, I have no clue how they do it, one image to be the image that they show on your summary card. And you have no control over what Yoast picks, but I have a solution about how to fix that in just a second. So once you've gone ahead and you've selected what your summary card um, type is going to be you save and then you want to clear your website cache if you're using a caching software like w3 total cache like we use at social media examiner you're going to want to clear all of your caches because what yoast is going to do is add what's called metadata to every single one of your blog posts and that's going to be important now the next thing you need to do is you need to validate your website with twitter and um, if you google validate Twitter card, you'll be brought directly to the URL 
and I'll include that exact URL in the show notes. And by the way, Yoast and most of the other plugins I'm going to be mentioning provide a direct link to the validator. But the way that it works is you only have to do this one time for each type of card for your entire website. So once you're logged into the validator, the first thing that pops up is it says, what kind of Twitter card do you want to validate? And obviously you want to choose the card that you've already set in your settings in Yoast. So if you chose summary card, choose that. If you chose summary card, large image, choose that. Then you're going to see a bunch of stuff that's technical and you can ignore that. And you're going to click on a tab that says validate and apply. So what that does is it validates that you have the proper code set up on your website and then you go into this approval process with Twitter. The next thing that you need to do is enter a URL. Now it's very important that you listen to this point. Do not put your homepage. Put an actual link to a blog post because Yoast is not adding code to your homepage or adding it to an actual blog post. And I made this mistake and I got totally confused. So pick any blog post, paste it in there. And then what happens is Twitter says, okay, your process, you know, your, your whatever has been, you know, received and we will notify you. Now I got like within a minute approved. So it was very, very fast. Um, now you want to repeat the exact same process for each type of Twitter card. So if you want to be able to have the flexibility to swap back and forth between a summary card and a summary card, large image, go back into Yoast change your settings again to the other one, clear your cache and repeat the process that I just mentioned. Now, once you've been approved by Twitter, the next thing you want to do is you want to test this out on Twitter and see if it works. So all you have to do is, and, and don't forget if you, if you haven't already cleared your cache of your website, be sure to do so. Take any link, go into uh, any one of your Twitter accounts and create a tweet. It has to have some words in front of it you know, like a normal tweet would be. And um, I found that if you just have one or two words, it doesn't create a summary card. You have to have more like a sentence. And then uh, go ahead and do the tweet. Then look at your Twitter stream and then look to see whether you've got something that says view summary. And if you do, it should display the summary card and you can see exactly how it looks. Now, I mentioned earlier, one of the big challenges with Yoast is it's randomly choosing which image to, to, to post out there in your summary card. Well, and I also mentioned if you don't use Yoast, keep listening. I've got another solution for you. There's another WordPress plugin called JM Twitter Card. And uh, if you Google JM Twitter Card, you will find the direct link and I will have the links in the show notes. This integrates with Yoast. So what that means is it will automatically pull your Yoast settings into the JM Twitter Card, but it also allows you to not use Yoast at all. Once you install this plugin, you're going to want to go under the general settings of the plugin and input your Twitter accounts and the card type that you want to use as your default card type. It's very similar to Yoast. And then under the meta box tab, you want to make sure that the meta box is set to display Then you want to hit the save button. Next thing you want to do is go to any article and it probably should be an article that's already been published. And what you can do is you scroll down the screen and you'll eventually see a new box that shows up on every article. And in that box, you have a bunch of settings and you can pretty much ignore most of them. Um, but the important setting is the ability to upload or to paste in a URL to an image that you want to use as the default Twitter 
uh, summary card image for the article in question. Now at mykidsadventures.com, we have a uh, 480 by 480 pixel montage that we create for every single article. And it just so happens that's the perfect size for uh, a, a Twitter summary card large image. So we just take that URL and we paste it into that box that's under the JM Twitter card settings. We update the post. We clear the cache because it's already been published. And voila, we're done. And we can test that and we can see that that works. And eventually you want to get into a production cycle where, you know, every time you have a new blog post, you go ahead and go in there and indicate in JM Twitter card precisely what image you would like the image to be for the Twitter card. It can be an image that is displayed in your blog post article or it can be one that you custom create. It can be your Facebook open graph image. It can be whatever you want. So there you have it. That's my quick and dirty tutorial to Twitter cards. And I think you should try it out. I'm really excited about the capabilities and potentials of it. And again, if you missed anything that I talked about, be sure to grab a copy of the show notes. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. I mentioned earlier in the show that I am launching a brand new podcast, and I'd like to go ahead and introduce that to you right now. Welcome to the Parenting Adventures Podcast. Dad, I'm bored. Heard this before? If so, you're not alone. Grab a torch and join us for Parenting Adventures as we bring fun back to the family. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. I thought, what better way to launch a podcast than to actually let my existing listeners like you hear an actual episode of my brand new podcast. So if you're a parent or a grandparent and you have kids and you want to do some fun, exciting things with your kids, I'm going to go ahead and transition right now to an interview that I did for the Parenting Adventures podcast. And by the way, if you're not interested in listening to this podcast, be sure to fast forward to the end of the show to at least learn where you can get all the links from the show notes and a way that you can help me get the word out about this brand new podcast. With that, let's transition right now over to the Parenting Adventure podcast, episode number one. And by the way, I should mention that this is not the entire uh, podcast. This is just a sample from episode number one. Helping bring fun back to your family. Here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined by two experts today, Joe Schofield and Fiona Dinks. They're authors of seven books, including The Stick Book, Loads of Things You Can Make or Do with a Stick, along with The Wild Weather Book and The Wild City Book. They're both experts in helping kids connect with the outdoors, and they blog at goingwild.net. Joe and Fiona, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, very, very nice to be here. Well, today, and I'm so pleased to have you both. Today, we're going to explore having fun activities with kids outside. So let's start with the backstory. Um, Joe, let, I'll ask you first, how, how did the two of you come to write books about outdoor activities for kids? Um, well, it's actually been a, a long adventure. Um, probably about 18 years ago, we met in a sort of preschool playground um, and our boys were best friends. So we sort of um, 
got chatting and we found that we had a very similar mission in in life and we come from slightly different areas but they sort of really work together so I sort of had a sort of uh, psychology background and had worked um, as an educational psychologist for a short space of time but then was doing more photography and Fiona came from the sort of more ecology background and was doing environmental education and we both loved the outdoors really we had this passion we grew up um, outside free as kids and we gave this to our children and they loved it and we had lots of uh, friends over and we had lots of adventures together as our kids were growing up and through that we sort of realized that there was a real sort of um, need if if you know to, to make it easy for kids to get outside because a lot of the uh, children that came to our houses they um, they just didn't have the same opportunities as our kids to get out for many different reasons and they all loved it when they were out there but we were sort of very busy parents. We were, um, and sometimes, you know, we're realistic. You, it is quite hard to get your children out. Or you'll have a limited time and, you you know, maybe you think you have to go somewhere um, a long way away or you need to spend a lot of money or you need a lot of preparation. And we thought we could sort of put something together where to show people actually there's loads of different things you can do without any of those things um and if you know we know that if you say to any child oh let's go for a walk they all would go mm, i don't want to go for a walk but if, <laughs> but if you sort of say um oh you know do say something tempting like oh well let's go and make bows and arrows or how about sort of going on a dragon hunt or or what about making a fairy castle they're sort of dragging you out and all those things you can do without any preparation if you've got 20 minutes or if you've got, you know, three hours. Um, you can do something which doesn't involve a huge lot of preparation, but is a load of fun. And it has to be fun because otherwise kids won't want to do it again. Fiona, so, uh, yeah, Fiona, whose idea was it? Was it yours or was it Joe's to, to do a book out of this? Um, I think it was very much a joint idea. I think Joe had been taking wonderful photographs of her family having great fun making dens in the woods and had been wanting to do something with, to use the photographs and I had done some writing although in a slightly different context and I had previously worked in environmental education both of us I, I need to set out at this point had sort of stopped our careers for a while uh, in order to have families and our children were quite young at the point when we met as Joe said earlier um, and I had at the back of my mind rattling around, I thought, I really need to write something to inspire more people to get out because I was finding that people were saying, oh, we can't go for walks anymore now. We've got children. The children don't want to walk anywhere. And I kept right. thinking, they've got something wrong here. Make it fun. Think about it from the child's perspective and, and make it fun. And there are so many different ways to enjoy being outdoors, whether you want adventures, whether you want to use your imagination, whether you want to be creative, whether you want to play games. And so our approach is to make a br as broad a brush approach as possible to, so that hopefully will appeal to as many different people as possible. So I really don't, I, I think it did come for both of us. We, we both said, well, we ought to do something. Shall we try and write a book? And it took us a while to get a publisher. Uh, and in fact, initially, we um, got some articles published in a magazine that Joe had previously worked for. And then on the strength of that, we were very fortunate that Francis Lincoln Limited uh, picked us up and decided to publish our first book, although they had no idea what the market was going to be. They felt it was such an important message. They wanted to get it out there. Well, that, 
That's awesome. You know, and you know, one of the things that uh, I want to transition towards today, it, both of you mentioned this is, you know, you were busy parents and the craziness of life for so many of us. Um, you know, there's so many different activities that we have to do with the kids school and after school homework and all these kind of things. You know, we can kind of get caught up in the minutiae or the the patterns of everyday life. And before we know it, our children are shut-ins, if you will. So Fiona, tell me a little bit about why is it important that our kids get outside? Well, as Joe mentioned earlier, you know, often there's a resistance to going outside. You know, oh, it's boring going outside. And actually, I think the challenge of getting children outside becomes more and more difficult because since our children were young what the, the the gadgets and devices that children now have available to them make it even more tempting to stay inside on your you know tablet or whatever it is playing numerous games well why isn't is it important to get kids outside we feel there are all sorts of benefits firstly once they're out there they have a fantastic time they have lots of fun they have lots of adventures secondly it's good for children to be outside. It's good for them in terms of their health. Uh, it keeps them physically active. And that's, you know, in these days of increasing childhood obesity, et cetera, et cetera, this has got to be important. But it's more than that. It's actually good for their mental health as well. There's an increasing amount of research that has taken place that is showing this. Um, it's good because children can learn to judge risk for themselves. So many children these days are mollycoddled and aren't allowed to learn about risk in a sensible way where they can take a little step at a time and, and learn, actually, I can't climb that tree because that one isn't, is, is not a safe tree to, to climb, whereas that one is, and I'll be fine climbing that one, for example. It's good for their creativity. It's good for their use of imagination. Um, and evidence has even shown that they can do better in school as well because they've been problem solving, et cetera, et cetera. So there are huge benefits. And also in terms of communication. And by that, we mean real face to face communication, not Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think for all those benefits for the children, but also critical to this and to our belief as to why we're doing this, it, it's, it's, it's good for the natural world itself. You know, we live in a very wonderful, diverse world, which is increasingly threatened from a, by a variety of things. And unless there are people in the future who care about the world and understand biodiversity and ecology, um, you know, the future is even more grim, one could say. And so very much we see this as a two way thing. It's good for the children and it's good for the environment if children spend time outdoors, immersed in and learning to love the natural world. They'll want to look after it in the future, mm. I think. And we're increasingly finding that children don't have much time in the natural world. And it's like this alien world. And they're actually nervous of it. We're seeing children coming quite scared. And it's just because they're scared of things that they're not comfortable with, that they're not exposed to. So we feel if they're out there playing in it and having fun, they're going to have memories to cherish and they're going to understand what's happening and see how their actions affect the world. And, you know, it's very critical for their future because without that environment, we can't exist <laughs> as we do today. Well, I think you're bringing up some really good points, especially, you know, I think the creative side, especially with your books, um, allowing kids to just go outside and 
make a mess <laughs> or make something out of a mess, right, is actually kind of exciting. And that's how I grew up. I grew up, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this probably grew up in, a, in an age that's very different than where we are today. And today it's about doing things in a digital tablet and you push a button and it's gone. <laughs> but sometimes going outside and getting muddy or, or creating things from, from mud, I think is pretty exciting. Well, go ahead. It's a balance, really, because our children are going to need those skills. They're going to need that technology. That's their world. And But it's also they mustn't forget about the natural world and being outside. And so it's getting a bit of both, isn't it? Um, and at the moment, what what we feel is it's just a little bit that the scales are a bit skewed to spending all time inside in front of a screen and actually, just a few hours outside regularly is, is a better way to go forward. Excellent. Well, your books are very practical. Um, I, I kind of refer to them as pocket books because you could pick, pick them in, a, you know, stick them in a pocket or a woman could stick it in a purse. And, and really, it's, it's a great reference guide with bazillions of ideas uh, of things that you can do in the outdoors. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share a couple of easy activities that kids can do with sticks, because I think that is such a, there's sticks everywhere. <laughs> so, I, so just, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, can I interrupt and just add a little aside at this point, which I think is rather fun. Um, in 2008, the Museum of Childhood in New York, in its National Toy Hall of Fame, elected the stick as one of the chosen toys and we just thought this was fantastic and I have to say this was one of the sources of inspiration to write a book called The Stick Book and the curators at the museum just said well the stick is there because you can do anything with a stick it's a fantastic starting point for so many imaginary games and adventures and we so love that so that you know that there's that very strong American connection as to why we wrote the stick book. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So let's start with um, why don't you pick an activity that that a parent can do with their child with a stick, and let's explore it a little bit. Um, well, actually, one of the the most favourite activities that we do regularly because we work with a lot of groups of children, um, and it's a great activity and it's very simple and you can do it anywhere so wherever you live and you can do it at whatever season is that basically you just go and find a stick or or even better if you let the stick choose you so it can be sort of almost like a magic stick and you can look at that stick and see what you can see in it so see if you can see a nose or some eyes and the kids really can sort of immerse themselves in imagining what this stick could be and you can turn your stick very simply into a mythical creature um, and we've had amazing things using just a little bit of clay if you haven't got clay you could use play-doh or uh, well any any sort of modeling clay and you just go outside and pick up some natural materials leaves uh, little twigs little sort of flowers seeds. if you want seeds feathers feathers and and make um, a creature mm. and that creature can be, you know, as sweet as a, a little sweet little pony, <laughs> or it could be some enormous flying dragon with uh, sort of thorns for teeth. And um, we've had incredible things. Sometimes, you know, we've had children who say, go and get a stick, find a stick, and they drag back almost a tree. <laughs> and then they proceed to ride it off. To foreign lands you know when they've made it and other ones make beautiful intricate little um creatures with wonderful sort of fairy wings or you know and little faces and 
Um, and then you can even go one step further and make a whole world for your um, sick creature. I love that. I love that. And you know what would be kind of fun? I think you could probably say, okay, you could say to your kids, okay, we're going to go on a little hike. Maybe not a long hike, right? But along the way on this little hike, maybe it's just a 10-minute hike, yeah. watch for a stick. And, yeah. um, and you know, at that point, do you tell them what they're – do you tell them ahead of time? I mean, like how do you prep the child to be looking for the right kind of stick? What are some of your thoughts on that? We've done it in all sorts of ways, this, but we have run activities. I think our most successful one was at a, actually at a literary festival where we said from the outset um, we wanted to make a – people to make some kind of creature that they could then make up a story about mm. and so they had to go and find a stick that they felt could become a monster character. or a character or whatever they wanted the wonderful thing about this activity is it's always different and it's open-ended you're not restricting the child's imagination you're actually opening up their imagination i don't think there's any rules at all no there aren't any uh, and do you tell them to, to grab more than just a stick or do you already have a couple yeah. of other things along the way um, ready for again, them? It, again, it would d- it would totally depend on the setting in which you were doing it. But if you were doing, as you suggested, going out for a little walk or hike, as you would say, um, I w- you would want them to look out for, for, for nat- loose natural materials that they felt could become eyes, ears, wings, whatever they wish to bring their creature alive. And right. then maybe the creature could have superpowers and then you could even bring in real creatures you know maybe it could have you know uh, big ears or something like a rabbit or it could sort of head could twist or something mm. like a, a, an owl or or you, you, you it depends which way you want to go with it but then they can go back and write a story about it afterwards which is always quite fun or make oh, that's cool story. yeah or they could get in front of whatever other kids are there and tell a little story about it right exactly yeah. That is totally cool. I'm already getting excited. <laughs> I want to go make my little creature. Okay, so um, let's let's share another um, thing you can do with sticks. That might be a fun activity with kids. Um, obviously there's den making, um, but also we quite like the idea of minute. You could call it miniature den making if you like making little houses for fairies or elves or imaginary people. Um, this was always a great favourite of our sons, actually. When they were at primary school together, when they were only about five, they would spend hours in the playground just collecting little twigs and bits and pieces and making these very intricate little imaginary little houses for or castles for their elves. And again, that, that's, a, that's always a very popular activity and, and very simple. And you can do it anywhere because all you need is just a few little twigs and sticks and maybe some leaves. And then and to, as, they got, as they got older, their, their sort of little houses for their, their elves got more and more intricate and they'd sort of then make beds and then they'd have feasts and they'd collect sort of food and then they'd have bows and arrows that would even fly, you know, arrows that would fly that would just only sort of um, a few centimetres long. And, um, it, oh, it was incredible what they used to make. make. Basically, they would make, the, like you would have in a doll's house, in the end, they would make out in the natural world and the root of a tree or Do you need whatever. clay for that one, or is it just figuring out kind of how to make all the twigs and branches stick together? Well, I think you can just do find what you've got out there. You don't. I think we try and avoid to use... Um, anything in our books hope we try and use the natural world as far as we can so that you can just walk out the door and you don't have to think too much before you go and prepare too much because I think um, it can all get a bit sort of 
if you don't prepare, you can go off in different directions, can't you? <laughs> what we have found in our experience with our books is that there were several occasions when we would set off with a bunch of children to take photographs of a particular activity, but then they would go off in a different direction and do something completely different. Uh, but we, that was fine because the ideas were coming from them and we positively encouraged that. Yes, once we so went... So I think one of the lessons is yeah. be flexible. Yeah, that's what Fiona's <laughs> trying to say. That's totally yep. cool. Now, how long does it typically take for someone to build like an elf castle or a fairy house just so parents might be thinking about planning, you know, time-wise? Well, I think it's, it's, it's uh, however long you've got, really, because you can come back and you can come back to it and see if fairies have moved in. And, and <laughs> <laughs> you can leave little notes for them. And not, do you know what? Often they reply. <laughs> They do. Funny enough, the tooth fairy did that once to one of my daughters. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. so, so I think that this is it. I think there are, really are no rules. You, if you've got 10 minutes, just take the 10 minutes and start. And then if your child really enjoys it, then you can go back and you can discuss it and you can go, wow, should we go and, and build a dining room for them? Or, or should we go and do a football pitch? For, for it the next day you know and you can go off and you can make it bigger and you can see where they're going and it, it becomes more and more an adventure and next time maybe spend 20 minutes yes. or you might find then you're sitting there all day <laughs> and one of the beauties of activities like this is that people might think well are they really learning about the natural world but of course they are because while they're out there looking for things they start to spot all sorts of other little even little creatures which is wonderful that they may maybe otherwise wouldn't have found that's totally cool. One of the things that I liked about um, one of the ones in your book that that was attractive to me was the stick tower castle. Um, I think that was the one where you take a bunch of sticks and try to make them as tall as you can. Can you explain yeah. that one a little bit? Yeah, that's that's quite good fun. Um, we, we've um, you 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 give every, you, it's quite a good game for teams actually. Yes, and you give each each team several sticks which need to be the same length as each other. So maybe about I don't know twenty sticks. And you also give them some string. And the idea is to see who can make a freestanding tower out of their sticks um, as tall as possible. And it's hilarious. It's 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 a really it's quite a good game. Better for slightly older children, this activity, because it is quite complicated or for teams of um, families. So a lot of activities, you know, it's very much about families doing things together. And that would be a good game, you know, maybe for a fam family gathering or something. So you would have have teams of different different ages. There you and go. I could see dad and dad and child one and mom and child two, something like that. Right. And they could be going against each other. Or parents feed children. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that could be really interesting. <laughs> can get them really high yeah and it, it teaches them all about how to do knots but it's also actually thinking and and it really is what we're trying to get our children to do learn about balance learn about how to actually structure build things and problem it, solve problem solve exactly and then they take that forward in life and apply it in other areas awesome well, now there's plenty of people listening right now that are saying man how i wish i lived where there was some big old countryside, but I live in a big city. And I know that you wrote a book um, about doing things in cities. So what are some things for those moms and dads listening right now that are in the, in a city, what are some things that they can do that are still nature-based? Well, actually, this it was a, a really good book to research for this one because Fiona and I do live in the countryside. We do live on the edge of a big town. 
Um, but we wanted to actually show people that actually you can do this stuff everywhere, wherever you live. And um, it took us a year to, to write this book. And we discovered actually, to our amazement, there is an amazing amount of opportunities in cities to come across wildlife. You've just got to sort of open your eyes and, and know where to look really. And we actually came to the conclusion that you've almost got more opportunity than in the countryside. Really? I mean, obviously it depends, well, it depends on, the on the nature of the city and on the nature of the countryside. But for example, if you had a particular city that had a lot of parks and open green spaces that were publicly accessible, rather than somewhere that was incredibly intensively farmed with yeah. very few rights of way and very few parks, it could be that actually in that particular example, a family living in the city would have better access to publicly accessible, interesting green spaces than somebody in that rural area. You could certainly to, walk. You know, so you could certainly walk more. Obviously, see. it's not not to always true, but uh, I think in many cases it can be, and that people would be surprised if they were to map the accessible green spaces in in a city. Oh yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like here in California, you think about San Francisco. Or San Diego, um, and I'm sure Los Angeles is the same way. They've got huge parks that are yeah. set aside, surrounded by skyscrapers, of course, but there's nature there. So so what, what are some of the things you can do then? Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, without, I'm, I'm sure that some of your activities do involve finding those green spaces, but there's probably other activities where maybe if you don't know where those green spaces are, there's still things you can do, right? Actually, a lot of our activities you can do, you know, even if you just have a balcony or a window box, we're, we're actually sort of trying to, a lot of them focus on the smaller things like the bugs and the beetles and things that children will actually get a chance to see. Um, and also just fun things to get outside, even if even if all you've got is a street. Um, I mean, for example, one of the initiatives um, that in the UK is there's a group that um, I forget what they're called, but they close the street maybe once a month so that all the children in the street can get out and play on their bikes and run up and down the street. And and, and it's such a wonderful idea. Um, so that, and then they find neighbours talk to each other more. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Um, I live in Southern California and we had a power outage and a million people had no power. So it was really interesting to see people come out and be neighborly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yes. Well, I would imagine just trees. Trees are everywhere, right? So with the simple things as leaves and stuff, you could do some fun activities in a big city, right? Exactly. Uh, yes. And and uh, we, we also do um, things like attracting wildlife to your garden. So even if you have a balcony, you can make these wonderful nectar cafes, we call them, to attract butterflies and things like that. And we, we give recipes on how to make a lovely, disgusting banana mush that butterflies just die for. <laughs> and, um, and you can make out of just a sort of plastic, empty drinks bottle, you can make an amazing sort of flower uh, with a sort of little sort type of, you just chop it in half and turn it upside down and it makes a little saucer. And in it, you put your lovely banana mush and you can stick that flower in a, in a garden or a, a patio or wherever you are. And hopefully the wildlife will come to you. Um, and particularly if you also have a few pots, again, you don't need much and plant up suitable little plants that might attract um butterflies and other insects as well or you could get a washing up bowl and if you if you've got a little sort of tiny garden or small outdoor space you can um, make a mini pond 
just in a washing up bowl. Yeah. And amazingly, it doesn't take long for creatures to inhabit it. And it's quite exciting to watch. Yep. To see what who who makes it their home. <laughs> yes. And I would imagine, I don't know if you have mosquitoes where you are, but I would imagine maybe some of the first little creatures to come and 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 do their little, you know, um, you know, when yes. you see mosquito larvae swimming around in water, it is pretty intriguing for kids, you know. It is. Yeah. It is. Even though they might may not like the mosquitoes very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we've just scratched the surface, ladies, but um, I mean, this is hopefully very inspiring for those that are listening right now. That it's really not very hard to go out there and do fun things with your kids, no matter where you are. There really is no excuse. I mean, it's all around us. And nature was here before the city came, and uh, and you probably don't have to travel very far to experience it. And I think your books are really um, awesome guidebooks to help any parent figure out fun, fun things to do with their kids. So why don't you tell us where people can discover more about you and your books, The Stick Book, The Wild Weather Book, and The Wild City Book? We do have uh, a website, uh, www.goingwild.net. And um, there's information there about, you know, where our books can be found. And we also put up weekly screen free challenges, we call them, which are just generally simple activities that that anyone can go out and do wherever they are. Um, Yeah, we also um, have Twitter. So you can get us um, at at going wild net. Uh, then our books are in all good bookshops, we are told. So, And we did look on Barnes & Noble website, and you can get them there, plus obviously Amazon. So um, any problems, you can contact us on our website. Actually, we like to hear from you. So if you make some great creatures out of sticks and clay, we'd love you to um, tweet some pictures of us or upload them onto our website. We'd like to hear what you're doing. Um, and uh, hopefully inspire others through because basically ideas from your kids are probably the best ideas. And also, I think um, given as we were talking earlier about how much kids love technology and, and of course the reality that it is going to be such a big part of their lives, I think sometimes technology can be used as a means to get children outside and encourage them to participate in things, whether by using photography, QR codes, um, um, they can do treasure uh, hunts and geocaching using GPS. You know, so we're very much um, totally uh, feel that that is that is a, a genuine way to <laughs> to tempt children outside. Is it can be using their technology. So we love to hear from people and love to get photographs of fun things that they've they've made. Well, uh, Joe Schofield and Fiona Dinks, I just on behalf of everyone listening, I want to say thank you for inspiring us and giving us great ideas. You've been awesome today. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, have fun adventures outside. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, If you missed any of the links that we talked about on the Twitter cards, you can get all the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 97, where we have extensive instructions. Also, if you liked the Parenting Adventures podcast or you know someone who might like it, I would appreciate it enormously if you could help me get the word out. The easiest way to do that is to visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash parenting. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash parenting will pre-populate a tweet into your Twitter stream saying, check out the Parenting Adventures podcast. I really need your help spreading the word and hopefully making a difference in people's lives. 
This does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Be sure to check out Michael's other podcast, Parenting Adventures. Dad, I'm bored. Heard this before? If so, you're not alone. Grab a torch and join us for Parenting Adventures as we bring fun back to the family. Visit ParentingAdventures.com. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.